0: Welcome to Glass Talk, Canada's podcast for the architectural glass industry. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery.
1: Hi everybody, and welcome to Glass Talk. It's uh, another exciting day on Glass Talk. Pat Flannery here from Glass Canada Magazine. And with me today is Jeff Shillard, no less, from Guardian Glass. Uh, architectural Design Manager, The uh, the title says. Uh, out in uh, out in bc where where are you coming at me uh today jeff uh surrey just a little bit north of the border i like to say south surrey uh yeah. we like extend it to say south surrey white rock so that we add a little bit more prestige to it beautiful beautiful uh that's a very nice area uh i know uh i know you guys there's a lot of great glass events that go on out there uh, uh great community there and uh you know jeff uh we've uh We've had a lot of fun getting together at uh, at some of the events, and uh, and you were just at one yesterday. I thought before we get going, give me a little uh, give me a little report from the uh, FGIA FNBC event yesterday. What uh, what was the scene there? Uh, you know, it was a good scene. Um, definitely, there was a
0: lot of engaging conversation. Uh, certainly, we opened up things up uh, with the bird friendly uh, panel uh, on award from Garibaldi Glass, myself of course, and Michaela Vale from Vitrum. Uh, got together, did our uh, our talks on the various components um, and considerations of bird friendly glazing, and then throughout the rest of the event, uh, you know, one of the probably one of the more engaging conversations was hearing from I believe his name was Neil Harris with RDH talking about uh, carbon, talking about operation carbon, uh, op- um, op- yeah, operational carbon, embodied carbon, and where those are going, what direction they're going to take us in the future. Here,
1: they are asking for embodied carbon. What measurements uh, reporting in the BC right now, Jeff? Has it gotten that far, or is that just Vancouver? I think
0: we're two years away from operational carbon targets, and then 2030 on the embodied carbon targets.
1: Right. I could be, be- wrong,
0: um, but that seems to be my take of what was going on there.
1: Did Neil address at all uh, the tension between those two uh, those two ideas? Uh, uh, will our will our efforts to uh, make ever more uh, efficient operational carbon uh, products uh, run afoul of the need to keep the embodied carbon out, i.e. by adding more glass, more b- b- more aluminum, that kind of thing.
0: I think where it actually showed itself to be a little bit more merciful was that on the uh, operational side, uh, the trajectory brings that percentage down. So let's say if you're running at, I think if you're saying 50% of all your embodied carbon and then 50% operational. And then as operational comes down, obviously your embodied carbon looks a lot higher. The percentage ratio goes up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then it just goes incrementally lower as we move along year by year to try and curb that with different products, whether it's low carbon uh, concrete, whether or not we look at float glass and different ways to manufacture with lower emissions, things like that. I know we just opened up a Luxembourg plant that got a renovation done, or I shouldn't say renovation. I think it was a re, either rebuild or actually a brand new plant. Uh, whatever it was, it was a 25% reduction in uh, energy consumption. So that's certainly heading in the right direction, uh, and I don't think it's going to stop
1: there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing too. Is the the long term thing, and and of course the Europeans are are ahead uh, a bit on this. Is to uh, get those processes both for aluminum and glass uh electrified um a little bit uh and to be drawing that electric power from uh hydronuclear renewables and uh and then you you get to quote less embodied carbon in the product when you when you do that so maybe that'll uh maybe that'll save glass and aluminum from being targeted as high embodied carbon building materials i mean concrete is the is is the biggest offender still although i know they're making huge efforts over on that side to try to make it better uh but um that I you know I I well I wrote about it in the in the magazine uh, uh I guess a couple of issues ago now that uh you know the the, the architects are certainly casting a dim view on uh, on aluminum and glass and it's embodied carbon uh present uh, at the at the present so we'll see uh we'll see where all that goes Definitely a lot of focus yeah, yeah, we'll have to yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But um okay, so that's 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 a good report from there. Sounds like uh, sounds like you guys had a good event. But what we're here to talk about today. First of all, Jeff, I I haven't got you to tell us uh uh exactly what you're doing uh uh there there now. Uh what's uh what's your role at Guardian? What's your background? Give us the uh give give us the Jeff Salard intro.
0: Sure, sounds good. Well, the, the Jeff Schillardt intro usually involves a song and dance, but I'll kind of frame it <laughs> down for a little bit here. So my uh, my role prior to working with Guardian, I worked for about seven and a half years for a float glass manufacturer. So my role was to, you know, when I got into that industry was to call on residential clients, call on railing clients, and then moved into the commercial end of things. So my primary focus was working with commercial glazers, trying to move that conversation along, help them out, uh, picking whatever product would give them the best opportunity to win the work. Um, And then of course, uh, down the road, I got picked up by Guardian to take on the ADM role, which is the architect design manager position here in the Pacific Northwest. So my job covers Alaska, BC, Alberta, Idaho, Washington and Oregon, huge area. Um, Incidentally enough, when I was Halfway through my tenure this year, uh, I got stopped at the border and told I had to get a TN visa, which suddenly made my entire region shift to potentially all of just Western Canada, which we've got enough work to kind of carry that. Uh, But thankfully, after about eight weeks, it got sorted out and my territory was reestablished. But my main role is to go out and talk to architects and specifiers to try and get our product uh, pushed through, through specification, see it carried through until completion when the project is obviously when the glass is ordered, to work with the fabricators to educate them, uh, also to work with the glazing contractors to get them to be able to understand what our product is, how it works, um, you know, how uh, especially when I talk about bird friendly glass, it's something that's not very well understood. So a lot of it is a very um valuable education component uh which is probably why you see me at a lot of these events uh trying to do touch points with uh anybody within uh the
1: construction stream that requires just more information on glass and glazing yeah well you're the you're the perfect guy to talk about all this stuff for sure and the the topic we came up with when we were when we were batting emails around uh was to uh was uh value engineering we we we, we landed upon and, and and it actually has a time to- i mean i know you've been doing a a ton of discussion about bird friendly these days. And that's a, that's a a red hot topic. Uh, And, uh, and I, I, I bounced you on that because I said, you know, geez, we've been talking about bird friendly so much. Let's, let's find a different, let's find a different angle. And, uh, and, but, but one of the things that that comes up in the, in the discussions with specifying uh, the bird friendly glass is is this idea of value engineering. It's, it's one of the things, one of the several things that can get um, it can get taken out uh, uh, if if possible in the jurisdiction uh, by uh, by 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 that sort of approach, start us out, Jeff, by just telling us in your mind what are we talking about when we talk about value engineering? What's what's that concept mean to you? Well, I
0: decided to actually look up that word because we bounce it around all the time. But you know, if you had to give it a definition, I decided to just see what Google offered up, and one of the first things that came up was the U.S. General Services Administration defining value engineering, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim off of here. So it basically says value engineering analyzes designed building features, systems, equipment and material selections to achieve essential functions and enhance results while reducing the lifecycle cost. Mm-hmm. Value engineering practices are formally structured in the design phase and depend on contractor initiative in the construction phase. Value engineering goals for individual projects are often addressed in partnering agreements goes on to define the defines phase, the design phase and the construction phase by saying that the design phase, and this is specific to federal buildings, but you can kind of extrapolate this across the board to say, value engineering considers alternative designs to optimize the expected cost worth ratio while maintaining required performance, quality, reliability, and safety. Construction phase says, our contractors are encouraged through shared savings to propose changes that cut costs while maintaining or enhancing design quality, value, functional performance, safety, appearance, or ease of upkeep. So the intent is maintaining required performance, quality, reliability, and to that end, durability and safety, not diminishing required performance, quality, reliability, durability, and safety. So if we're heading in this direction where we're gonna go from a 50 year life cycle of a building, tear it down, start from scratch, and shift that to a 100 to 200 year life cycle, um, talking about embodied carbon, operational carbon, then I believe value engineering needs to be about sort of a base level standard and not deviate below that. And that's where we, we typically talk about value engineering to say that a specification wants this particular type of product, they want bird friendly. And then in our day-to-day vernacular it becomes, well, it got value engineered out, not value engineered to say, I want this bird friendly, let's go with that bird friendly, this will still achieve what i want and still gives me the design quality value functional performance so
1: on and so forth that 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 is that is incredible that you found that jeff because it makes it sound so lovely uh what a what a obviously what a what a great concept we want to uh we want to maintain everything that we were going that that we wanted to do all of the i think the word required might be doing a lot of work there uh <laughs> we want to hit all all the required specs uh, and, or, or required requirements of the building. Uh, but I'll, you know, of course, you know, as well as I do in the, in the, in the vernacular, you get a bunch of glaziers around talking about, uh, uh glass contractors talking about, uh, uh, what happened on that bid, what happened on that project. And that, that, and, 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 the way, the way they say it is, you know, such and such got value engineered out, right. Which basically, <laughs> basically means, it, it it was taken out and 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 we can we can then we'd we'd have to we'd have to you know invoke an ai or something to figure out how much value was added or lost uh the, the main thing is it got out and the thing got cheaper uh so that was it's a it's a uh, but but uh, so the so the concept as a concept doesn't sound like a doesn't sound like a bad idea but uh in 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 practice possibly the reality can be uh can be a little different but Let's 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 hope everyone uh, let's hope everyone out there is uh, is is taking the high road on these things. What d- drill it down for me, Jeff? On on glass, uh, what what kinds of things uh, uh, come out of a project uh, in the in the value engineering phase in your experience?
0: Well, I guess to a degree. I mean, if I just kind of think back anecdotally to the way it used to be, where somebody could go, I need to have my glass replaced, and it's just three millimeter plate. That's all it was in there. And then as a fabricator today, you're going, well, you need to put a dual glaze unit in that. And somebody value, the guy, the homeowner value engineers out the dual glaze and just wants the three mil glass put in there. Of course, Mm -hmm. we're heading towards this new, uh, you know, code model that's essentially going to say that when you renovate your house, there's certain requirements you're going to have to meet certain energy targets. So at some point that value engineering component of the homeowner is going to disappear. And you're going to have to have that base level for renovation, but just rolling it back to where we are with new build, I think is well back to when people used to put in clear, clear glazing and however they were doing it, wherever they were doing it, uh, you know, certainly the BC law said you had to have a low E product in there. So you could, I guess, to a degree ethically move forward with the direction everything's supposed to go, or you can value engineer with a little asterisk in the corner, what the homeowner requests and cross your fingers and hope you don't get inspected. Now, there have been houses that have been built where, um, you know, whether or not there was a proper low E, whether or not it was, it was NAS tested, uh, those units go in. And, you know, thankfully, due to diligent uh, enforcement, those units come out. Those glass shops uh, get shut down. And it is a very hard uh, cycle to try and get, uh, we don't have enough inspectors. Uh, They don't have enough time. COVID uh, was a bit of an issue trying to get into those shops to try and uh, make sure that those things weren't happening. And I know that's the due diligence that the industry wants to go, but it's very hard to enact. Uh, But value engineering in terms of, let's say, uh, foreign and domestic products uh, would be sort of akin to say, if I'm doing a storefront, but given the way that it's been designed, uh, I want it to be curtain wall. You know, I experienced this in a particular job. Uh, It was specified curtain wall. And then the developer came back and said no i want you to put in storefront well that's not an equal product and at the end of the day things did not go well in terms of say structural support and if they needed to place the units it just wasn't a, an easy go so they value engineered that product out. Um, you know certainly one of the ones that i come across or used to come across more often uh, was things with like spandrel blazing so there's the value engineering that you intentionally reduce the quality of a product or uh, reduce the intent to save money. Say if it's been specified six on six, you go five on five. Mm. You value engineered it down to a thinner glass level. When you talk about I know you'd mentioned durability, and I think if you start to thin out the glass or you thin out the metal below what the specification is, you've lost a degree of the value that you've specified. Going back to that whole you know cost worth ratio and talking about maintaining or enhancing, that is diminishing. With spandrel glazing, uh, you know, one of the things that happens is you can get a specification where somebody doesn't realize they're putting a sealed IGU uh, back painted in a vision area. So some glazers will come back and either go back to the general contract or the architect and say, look, you can't do this. And then they'll come back and say, well, just go ahead and do it. Or they'll say, no, we need to use a different product. In some cases, I would get, well, back paint surface two, back paint surface three should cover off most of the pinholes and any of the edge deletion, that sort of thing, we should be fine. But sort of the other end of that value engineering component is to say it cost me more time and more effort, and it's going to cost more money compared to the contract that I signed to change any of that. And I might not get my money back. So I'm going to put in exactly what was asked for. I'm not going to give any advice. I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to move forward what they ask for. So at the end of that, there's no satisfaction from the, the owner developer and probably the occupant of the building. And in that case, you might have to go up there and scrape all the paint off the back of surface number two, or put up a back pan or, or figure out some way to do it that costs more money. So the value of engineering kind of backfilled from the way you're trying to not add extra expense to it. Um, it's not a great solution to back paint two and, two and three, but there are other solutions. And I think that's where the value comes in, uh, in creating sort of a degree of, of good profit to offer your services in a way that don't I guess don't take money off the table to save somebody money at the end of the day, almost to save your own bacon. Like you have to go out and do a good job. And that's the main thing. So I guess part of what it is, is, um, that sort of small print or those, some conditions apply, uh, shouldn't be something you find out after the fact where, uh, throwing in glazing that doesn't work bites you in the butt at the end of the day, you just go and have an honest conversation and try and and make it work. I see that as kind of this whole circle where your, your specifications, your architects run the way through the specifier, through the general contractor, fabricator, glazer, and everybody's in communication. It doesn't have to be a design build from top to bottom, but if all of those components are in together and they're all communicating, you have the knowledge of the fabricator to tell you what's gonna work, maybe in terms of roller wave, um, edge kink, different issues you might come across instead of getting to the point where the glass is installed and everybody goes, what's this? This is a fun house mirror. I don't like this. Well, that's what you asked for. You specified it. You ordered it, and then everybody's pointing fingers. So, that to a degree is value engineering out the service quality of it. And I kind of see that as two sides.
1: Wow. What? A, yeah. What? A, what? What a great point. You know, it's that. It's that culture of cooperation and partnership that everybody says they want. Uh, it's that. Uh, it, it's that service and 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 working together, and your your contractor being able to point out. Where, where this might not be so good and where that may, might might be better uh and uh, and and you know what I, I I know that we a lot of times will go and point out things that could cost less uh you know if they were done differently um but yeah if, if it becomes a matter of 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 value engineering after the fact and and again I mean in the in the the, the commonly used sense of value engineering, uh, 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 it, it it erodes it erodes that cooperation, doesn't it? That's that's a very interesting point.
0: Yeah, like the very base level of of let's say keeping to that um, that maintaining component of what is specified is even if you came in with a triple OE product. Like here was a really good example was when the city of Vancouver was setting its its code requirements and it said you had to have uh, a point. Let's say 0.20, I guess it was really 1.44, I think, was the metric U-value uh, thereafter. But if you broke it down into Imperial, you got a 0.20 center of glass U-value with a uh, dual silver on two and a hard coat or hard coat hybrid on surface number four, that low E-coating. That gives you the same U-value if you put a triple silver on surface number two. Oh. So you pay more for the triple silver, but the only be- but the benefit you get out of it is a lower solar heat gain. So if all you're looking for is a U-value and and solar heat gain is not even on the table, then that's a value engineer to take away a higher priced product and give you something that's still gonna achieve what you want. Now that's where the intent comes back to say, well, what is your reason for using that product? I'll save you money there, but do you want the lower solar heat gain? Or would you rather have what I call low E-coating SNF, which is essentially SN means tin, on the periodic table and F stands for foil. So mm. tin foil. Do you want, you know, a low so a high solar heat gain on your southern facing tower or do you want comfort? Mm. Um, so to that extent if that dialogue doesn't happen and that was typically the I, the dialogue I wasn't having with people. It was just are you trying to achieve a U value? Yes. Done. Here's your product. So As you kind of move through those different products, and especially when you get into triple IGUs and that sort of thing, um, you can value engineers simply by moving low-E coatings around. But you really have to be careful when you're moving around the U-value to get into the solar heat gain, uh, reflectivity, things like that, to make sure you're actually specifying what the architect wants. And I don't think that that really gets communicated from the glazer down through to the fabricator um, or even the float supplier who might be providing advice because a lot of the times, you know, fabricators don't get the specifications. Sometimes yeah. it's just a, a blanket name uh, or a number, a quote number. So we can, you know, you can't go and compare notes with other people or whatnot, but some of those things become a detriment at that stage and they never get resolved until even the architect doesn't even know what was put in the building.
1: Hmm. You mentioned, you mentioned municipalities and that takes me into my, the, the next thing, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, 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 more egregious stuff i've seen in terms of uh in terms of value engineering taking taking money out of projects uh, uh part way through or a, or after there's a contract or even even before in the bid process uh, uh, to an extent that it shouldn't do uh seems to come i'm afraid from uh, a lot of the municipalities and i think some of these uh, are, are places that actually have laws on the books uh, uh you know saying they have to go with the lowest cost period you know that that that's it that's all there is to it and uh and and now i've seen i've seen some of them try to get around that sort of thing uh by making wildly uh, uh ambitious specifications in the first place i i remember this one presentation i was at where they um you know they, they were building an affordable housing complex and the uh, the the energy uh the energy requirements on on this glazing were like something that wasn't uh, hadn't been it hasn't been accomplished by modern technology yet uh and I, w- I was like you know what are you doing planning on shooting this thing into space uh, and have it survive up there i feel like it was it was just it was insane but i but then i, I got thinking about it afterwards and i went I, I wonder if this was an attempt to preserve some sort of spec's when it gets to the value engineering phase or when it gets to the bid phase to try to have it negotiated down then, you know, and, and still have a fairly high specification on this thing, even after it's been, it, it's like, it's like sort of a games playing thing to, uh, uh, to, to, to get to that. But I, I I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, Jeff? Is that, is that, is that something you see out there is how, how do how do municipalities deal with this, this need to be at the bottom all the time on costs, or at least show that they're at the bottom? I, You know what I heard somewhere last year, and, and don't quote me on this, but I thought
0: that at least within maybe it was the uh, government of maybe Miss Pally, Vancouver it might even been the province of British Columbia, that if they're moving ahead on on certain projects, federal projects, things like that, that it wasn't going to be the lowest price that they, the lowest bid they chose, it was gonna be the next one up from there. And I think part of the reason oh. behind that was because we, we faced a challenge in the last few years. Um, You know, certainly from and it wasn't necessarily related to the pandemic, but somewhere in that process, there was companies that uh, went out there and, you know, if your knowledge is really good, for the most part, it was very predictable to go for a number of years where you were able to step in and I knew what my square foot cost was to build. I could put that on a quote, then I get my numbers after the fact. Then you hit a point where that didn't work anymore, and a lot of these companies that were underbidding to try and maintain their, their staff, keep the lights on, it became a, a game of chasing the next check to keep the lights on, and then eventually they went on of business. So from a, municipal, a municipality standpoint, you can certainly mitigate it by taking that second bid. But I think where the legislation part comes in, and we've certainly seen it with Vancouver setting the standard and then moving into the step code, Seattle's kind of doing the same thing. New York's got their thing, Toronto's got their thing. So your big city centers are coming up with either the prescribed values or eventually the energy modeling component. And energy modeling at least gives you that ability to move. Prescriptive, mm-hmm. does not so much. But where I see the, um, the architects playing this game, if you want to call it that, would be, I would step in and go, okay, what do you want to achieve? Do you want to achieve an aesthetic value? Yes. Perfect. Okay. These are the products that fit within that classification. What's the U value you have to achieve Well, here's standard in this municipality. Perfect. Let's go there. Now let's talk solar heat gain. So you move within those variables, but in my thinking, I would be saying to everybody who's building a tower, double double lowe silver isn't going to cut it anymore unless you're putting it in a triple and you're getting that solar heat gain down and that's not even you know being concerned about the u-value component of it so if i put that sort of spark into the architect and i say that's where you need to start somewhere down the road yes somebody might come along and say i don't want you to use let's say this on a low iron product i want you to do it on a clear product Mm. but you get still get the solar heat gain that you're looking for Perfect value engineering component. Maybe they don't get the aesthetics they want, but that's probably not the biggest component. It's more about those energy components, comfort, uh, meeting the, the prescribed uh, codes, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it can be a bit of a poker game. You can play your hand and see how it shakes out. Uh, but again, that's where I think uh, you know we talked about this yesterday at the uh, the FanBC meeting was that if more people are in communication with each other, then the knowledge base moves left, right, side to side, up and down. Uh, and we all start to understand each other better. We're not working uh, you know, in these silos. We're actually communicating to get down the right path. And it doesn't mean that it's it's the government that's telling us to do it. We're in tandem with the government and all together, coming forward and say, these things are achievable, these things are not. I know that's the conversation between FAN Canada, FNBC, they go to the government, uh, the government comes with one idea, they come back with reality. Uh, and of course, we still have to move the needle. We still have to go somewhere. I mean, if we didn't, we still would be doing clear-on-clear uh, clear or even just a double low-E, but it is definitely driving uh, the market into uh, a lot of innovation that's out there, and you can just take a look at the 60 Tower, uh, 64 High Rise that's going to be built in Vancouver, which is supposed to be the tallest passive house tower, uh, I believe, in the world, if not at least in, in North America here or, or Canada, and they're still trying to figure out what product to put in there to achieve a passive house uh passive house requirements in a 60 floor high rise wow that's driving innovation yeah yep. and they don't have to do it that's just the direction they want to go i mean granted it is it is to i think be done by 2030 so maybe by then it will be a a
1: requirement that it, it, the, and that's that's the big point you know i i, I when when i when i go to Conferences and I and I and I hear the 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 architects talking and they're banging on the lectern. Uh, uh, we have to build uh, more energy efficient things. We have to make things things better, more sustainable, more this, more that. And you know, and I'm sitting there, and part of me is going, "Well, aren't you the guys the ones specifying this?" But I, you know, I I realize that's you know that's simplistic. Um, and 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 the and then I and then I go to a Fenestration Canada meeting and I hear. We have this technology. We have these abilities. I, I go to a, a show, a window. Or, you know, we we can do to this. We can do that, and 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 all the marvelous technology, and and so so the architects want to design it. The 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 industry wants to build it and and and, and deliver it. But isn't it the value engineering that's standing there in the way <laughs> of the of the of the of the building supply and the new builds? Uh, being being what everybody says they want. I
0: kind of want to say that to some extent it might, but I think, like I said, like the intent of the value engineering component shouldn't bring anything down to a substandard or a subcode level. So it's kind of right.
1: like. If it's in the if, spec, think, it should yeah. be there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think about Mike Holmes. Mike Holmes always would say, you know, the code does the bare minimum. And I'm not expecting, you know, Mike Holmes to walk in and solve all our problems and suddenly go like, hey, we're doing this over here and that over there. And, hey, it didn't cost you a dime or, you know, HDTV decided to put ten thousand dollars into your bill. And, hey, you've saved some money. We gave you, you know, your Cadillac house or however you want to call it. But, um, you know, you can't value engineer the low E above uh, where it's supposed to be. So if you are supposed to hit point two zero center of glass U value, you can't throw in point four five. Similarly, on the commercial side, you can't go with, let's say, if, if the average here is uh, a 0.35 overall frame system, uh, and that's where you're at, you can't go any higher than that. So you can't value engineer that, and you have to have a framing system that works with the glazing. So in that kind of degree, that's where I also don't see a lot of, um, uh, let's say, camaraderie in the sense that the glazer should be sitting down with the, the aluminum supplier and the, and the glass fabricator and saying, what can you guys give me now? For the most part, they know it, they've done it, it's it's old hat. But when you get those three people in a room together, it makes a more compelling argument to say, this specification doesn't work. But I'm going to head you in this direction. Let's do this, especially with commercial glazers, who are just really starting to learn how to do triple glaze systems at the podium level. Mm -hmm. And that's not everywhere. Because I mean, I talk to people and even looking at where the where we're looking at with embodied carbon uh or operational carbon you look at a map and it's bc ontario uh i think you get down into seattle maybe california and then over into might have been denver and, and new york sort of thing but it's like we're talking about five regional areas and there's and don't make me count my provinces as my states i'm not going to do it i'm not going to put myself on the spot here but you get it it's a lot right it's double yeah. digits so so the point being is that, you know, it's a slow movement. It's the architects that will drive that to move across the country. Um, but you got to have people that have the knowledge to play in that field and that realm to also help communicate with, uh, with everybody to let them understand this is what's, this is what's out there, this is what you can do. Like back in, I want to say five, six years ago, when they talked about triple IGUs, they talked about the step code. There was guys going, we can't do that. And it was like, I'm looking in the room and I'm like, there's three guys in this room that are already doing it. So you know you can get there. Of course, it's going to cost you, hope, uh, you know, more money. And I really hope you stay in business at the end of the day to do it. But you know, innovation does tend to create sacrifice, and there will be people that just either can't keep up or don't have deep enough pockets to to play in that realm.
1: This is a this is an unfair question for where you are in the in the in the chain of the whole thing. But do you have any idea how they convinced the project owner to build a sixty 64- four? story uh uh passive house tower like like how how, how do you think that conversation went together? maybe because it's vancouver and they figure people are going to want to live there <laughs> if it's passive house i don't know
0: no comment no, yeah. I'm just I'm uh, he does
1: know he does
0: know <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i here's what you see in in all different industries there's always somebody looking to push the envelope that's how we got Electric cars. That's how we have, right. you know, commercial space travel. So, with trying to do this, it's not necessarily to say that we're going to get there. Now, I think they will. I really, truly do. I've seen the the, the design team, the engineers, everybody involved. It in, on the stage at, at Zach uh, World of Facades talking yep. about this publicly. It's not a. They're not doing it in a vacuum, promoting it to for brand awareness. I think they actually want to achieve it. But even if we look at, at the realm of where we are today, if you were to get five, 10 years into this and they said, hold your horses, it is too hard to do, we're not quite there yet, project is on hold, I don't think anybody would sit back and fault them for that. Mm-hmm. So I think what it does though, is I've been talking about this ever since somebody called me up and said, hey, I need a passive house unit for a 64 high rise, what do you got? And that was about a year and a half ago, I'd say. And I was like, You're looking at vacuum insulated glazing. That's where my mind goes. You're looking at new technology that's not necessarily there. So will we get to that point where that tower has VIG in it? Maybe, maybe they use thin triples. They're still trying to decide how to define thin triples. Maybe it's aerogel. Maybe it's some new technology we don't know about today, but we're all talking about it. We've been talking about it for a few years now about all this new technology. And I think that's forcing the hand of fabricators and uh flow glass manufacturers to think of things a little bit differently like somebody just emailed me today to say here's a product that i'm getting uh you know people want me to supply this i don't see it anymore i go yeah because it had a solar heat gain of 39 that doesn't cut it anymore so here's your alternative product which is very similar but it has a solar heat gain of I it was like 27. so you know, we have to shift with our product lines uh, to make sure we're lockstep with what the industry requires.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it goes to one of the things that came into my head when you were saying that is uh, I, one of the rationales for 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 making a, a, a better building, a, a passive sixty four story passive house uh, tower, uh, is that with the with the direction that everything is going, um, your uh, if you don't do that you may be into a situation inside of 10 years where uh, you're being asked to do retrofits and uh, you're being asked to do uh, replacements of things. Um, And, and, you know, you want to talk about expense. uh, That's the, that, that, that's, that's worse um, so uh it and, and that it feeds into the next thing we, we're going to talk about is 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 this is this durability idea um and 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 this longevity idea obviously on on, a, on an embodied carbon calculation, um the, uh, the the absolute worst thing you can do is have to build it all over again. Uh, or have to have to have to make the thing again, uh, because then you're incurring all the costs all the way up and down the chain. Uh, I, and you're and, you, and you're just doubling it. So whatever whatever you saved uh, at the one time, you've basically blown it away because you're because you're doing it all again. And I I, I saw a presentation by uh, Ted Kasich uh, here in Toronto a while ago where he was uh, 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 banging the drum very hard for this uh, CSA. Oh, wait a minute. I had to look it up. CSA S478 uh standard uh rolls off the tongue. sorry it rolls off the tongue yeah it just rolls off the tongue doesn't it yeah the s force the, the, the csa s478 go ahead and look it up and uh and 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 it is a it is a standard for durability in buildings and he was talking about you know how that how that's needed because because as as we're as we're evolving uh, uh you know into into understanding embodied carbon and and and, and this being more important uh, uh this idea that things have to be built to last they have to be built to last longer. Uh, you know, it just it just takes on a whole new a whole new emphasis. Um, do, do you first of all, I guess, Jeff, have you ever heard of this standard, or has anyone ever uh, uh, put it in a spec anywhere?
0: I have not seen your ability to date. Right now, that's also to say that I haven't seen the A five hundred guideline for guardrails in a spec. Oh. Uh-oh. I have not. Maybe I have, but maybe once. But it's still not required. I also have not seen the uh, CSA A four hundred and sixty for bird friendly in a spec. I've seen the product. Whoa! I've seen it yeah. In a spec. Now again, that's just might be just my luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. But we're we're still in this. Process here where we've, you know, you got your national building code and then it disseminates out to the provinces and then they choose what to adopt and how the language is adopted. And they go back and forth to try and, you know, get figure out what they want to do. You got the whole harmonization that they're trying to do. You got to almost get that done before these other things that are in the queue can eventually be adopted. Um, so I do see that, you know, durability. I almost see durability, at least in the glazing industry, as a component of certainly testing the longevity of your um, your glazing sealants, things like that. Your perimeter seal. Uh, you know, I don't think there's too much of an issue, per se, with um, perimeter seals on the commercial side of things if you're using some sort of tri-seal warm-edge product. Uh, because, you know, it's the, the longevity of it is quite incredible. Yeah. Um Beyond that, I can't speak to the framing systems, but I can speak to the concept that you're either thicker is either better, because it has some degree of, of durability, right? If you talk about a piece of six mil Lammy, your weakest piece of glass is the three mil, it's not considered six mil, it's three mil. So if you break the outer light, you've pretty much, you know, broken the whole piece. So what do you do from there? Do you go four over four? Do you go five over five? Sometimes you pers- you have to do that because mm-hmm. of fabrication limitations. So if we suddenly say no more six milani, everything has to be a four over four. You have some, you know, if you're tempering it, you certainly have some benefits to that, it's flatter, um, you know, it's all stronger. Uh, and then, it's, of course, it's more durable. But then do you also go to the other degree and say, well, I don't want you to use PVB anymore, I want you to use ionoplast or some sort of a stiff interlayer. Yep. Now you're looking at also your acoustics. Are we looking at future development? So we're looking at the durability of this unit to prevent sound transmission. Um, that was certainly a hot topic yesterday. Yesterday, when people were taught, one guy came up and presented on on acoustics, uh, and, and it was just fascinating to hear about just the concept of. I think he said something like it was like a fraction of an inch made a huge difference in sound transmission between units. So mm-hmm. these were things that I didn't even uh, consider, but they're sound. They were sound modeling the the Bell Tower, or I think it's called the Bell Tower, like Bell Bell Arena, I think in Montreal arena yeah. there, the tower up there, they showed the model and showed, you know, where uh, where you needed to increase or decrease uh, sound transmission. Um, and they said, nobody, nobody in the tower hears the concert downstairs. But the funny thing he said, and I wish I could quote him on this and use his name and his company because it was quite amusing. He said he couldn't get into the Justin Bieber concert that night to test the sound when they were developing the tower for this building. But what he did say was that, the highest noise on the meter happened at which particular point? Where do you think it is, Patrick? The highest... Do you think highest was the loudest. Oh, okay, I, I bottom floor,
1: right next to the thing. But what was the event that caused it to spike? Oh, oh, when 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 Bieber first came on stage. Oh no, no. it was when he took his shirt off. <laughs> Which then made me think, and
0: you're just going to laugh at me for saying this, but it made me think of of when I was uh, in my what was I my 20s or, or my 30s? God forbid, I was in my 30s, <laughs> and my uh, my girlfriend at the time said, "Hey, let's go see the new Twilight movie," and I'm all like, "You do it because you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You you sacrifice do. things, right? That's right, yep." So we go in there, and uh, I don't know the names of the characters. Anyways, the guy that plays the werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, oh, he's gone yeah, from, yeah. He's gone from being a little tween to all of a sudden he's bulked out. He takes his shirt off, and all the tweens in the theater <laughs> scream. And then the next loudest sound you hear is me
1: laughing my face. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, we're going to try that at the next karaoke night and see if we get the same reaction. Oh, you're taking your shirt yeah. off. All right, good morning, <laughs> baby. Very of you. That might might be screams of terror. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's a good point. Oh God, okay. So that's uh, yeah. The 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 sound thing is 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 there. The du- the durability thing is there. Um, one of the uh, you know one of the the pains in the ass too about about durability is how hard it is to test. Right. I, I remember it took uh, uh, years and years and a lot of work for uh igma uh what used to be igma now fgia uh to uh to come up with their um, their test results for ig uh lifespans uh they actually were trying to set a standard i i think they arrived at 25 years or something like that for uh for for ig seals but i mean they almost had to take 25 years to develop the bloody thing right because how do you how do you test it otherwise uh, and, uh, you know, so all, all of your, all of your, uh, I, I guess, I, I don't know, I, I guess I say that more as a comment than a question, just because I, that, that, that's gotta be, uh, uh, do, do you see that that would be a barrier to, uh, to, to, I don't know, making, making durability more of an established looked at thing in our, in our specifications? I think from a commercial standpoint,
0: um, where I could see that, having effect would be you know certainly you can do a retrofit in the high rise with a vinyl, vinyl framing system Right now, I don't know if that's going to to run into a roadblock when you try to extend from 50 to 100 years or even 25 to 50. Um, I don't even know if we're going to get to that point where this movement to ban plastics is really going to take hold on the vinyl industry. I mean, they Mm -hmm. talked about that in the spring at the FGIA spring conference, um, and that was just something that made my jaw hit the floor, because you can imagine how many residential uh, window frame manufacturers out there all of a sudden, You know, a lot of them also didn't even know about this. So when I started talking to them about it, it was just like, what? What are you talking about? So even the education component, like spreading the news out there is certainly not um, prolific in its manner. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see at some point, like anything you you phase something out, you know, wood windows are great. I don't know, enough, actually I shouldn't even speak of wood windows. I don't know enough about them other than the fact that the tolerance was very hard uh, to kind of fit windows into. And you gotta be very precise with it. Um, but to some extent, uh, you know, if you tried to do, God, if you tried to do a high rise with, with wood framing, would it work? Probably not, right? The maintenance on it would be incredibly hard. So then you take that out of it. So now let's throw in vinyl. How long does it last? Is it gonna meet a hundred years? maybe it does maybe it doesn't if it can't do we take that out of the equation most i'd say most I don't know, maybe i'm being too generous i don't know but a lot of residential uh window manufacturers out there have brought in a metal component and it's similar to the way that i kind of look at uh the way that the residential guys are crossing over into the commercial sector You got guys that have fiberglass framing systems or fiberglass with some sort of structural metal inside, um, metal wrapped wood frames. So you've got all these different composites that can achieve something better on the residential side that work great on the commercial side as well. So as we keep driving in that direction, I think the degree of innovation will help to, again, move it in that direction. You get more market proliferation, the costs start coming down, and then everybody kind of comes up to speed to compete with those top bananas that are in that industry, and then that helps to create the durability. The EPDs will help to create the durability. Um, and that's another thing when we talk about municipalities, we talk about architects, we talk about what, where you cannot value engineer out, is that if an EPD calls for, uh, you know, some sort of a value, I believe for commercial float glass coated, it's 1,450. And I know the number, but I couldn't tell you what the measurement is. I guess it's just a measurement of carbon, uh, because I'm just getting used to this. I'm I'm learning about this and trying to get on top of it. And by next year, I'll probably be speaking at every event on this. (laughs) But, you know, every product is going to have to hit that certain target level or lower. So if you can't achieve it, then you fall by the wayside. And I don't think there's too many companies out there that won't uh hit those targets that just ha- hit it at different degrees and then the target will move again and it will move it again so i don't think you'll be able to value engineer products away from what those specified epd components are and then maybe we get to a point where we're not even speaking in in u values or solar heat gain uh you know that entire composite energy model of an entire building has one number and that is it and that's all right. you need to achieve and bob's your uncle there you go you hit it You just but but then again, we're also talking about health, right? We're talking, you got the energy component, you got saving energy. But who's talking about comfort? So you know, I come from an indoor air quality background, mold inspection, remediation, that sort of thing. And that's one of the things that always was a topic when you walk into somebody's house, are you comfortable? And if you're not, why are you not comfortable? And you can break it down to a few small choice habits or different things and other things are a lot larger and have no general solution. Uh, But you know, you know, like I said it's just we're going to change the way that we look at at this industry and what our targets are I, I don't think we're done we're done changing that at this
1: point. yeah and 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 that health component is why they're never going to be able to uh uh take windows and 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 operable windows and 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 some some span of windows out of out of out of the buildings altogether no matter no matter what they end up uh deciding I think on uh, on 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 balances between embodied carbon and all the rest of it um the um the uh, uh, what was the other, what was the other point I had in mind there? You, the, the, well, I lost it. That's fine. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> it's okay. We're running all over the place here. Yeah. Yeah. we're Yeah. 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 We're. Kind of, oh, that was it. The EPDs. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, those, e, the EPDs and the life cycle analysis documents, uh, uh, they are a, a, a good way to sort of backdoor, uh, durability into the question. Right, because um, that 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 is part of the that is part of the calculation, and so if you're having to show that you're, or if you can show that your product lasts longer, um, that gives you a um, that that gives you an advantage. It brings that number down, uh, up or down, down I suppose, and um, and and it and it gives you uh, it, it it helps get you into into range for the for for the um, whatever whatever the spec is that the, that that the municipality has put out. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. It, it resists the value engineering, uh, I- I impulse because you, you know, now it's a requirement. You have to meet that. And, uh, and, and, and we could end up with, uh, with more durable, uh, better built, longer lasting, uh, uh, products, which is, which is nice. I, I, I think it's what everybody wants to do. Uh, they just have to get paid for it. That's all. And, uh, and, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully that can happen.
0: So, um, yeah.
1: the retrofitting
0: that's going on in, in Calgary. Which is like, you know, setting some, somewhat of a North American standard of com, uh, doing the conversions of changing your office towers to right. uh, residential um, is certainly a great example of being able to take something that's existing uh, and gain value out of it. In this, it was a fascinating conversation I had with somebody about the concept of value added products, particularly glass when you do interior glazing, particularly like shower doors. So if I build my house today, and I want to put in, you know, the high-end high end shower doors. I want all low iron. I want 12. Like, I want thick. I want it fully coated to resist all moisture, be clean, all the bells and whistles. How long do you think I'm living in that house for? I might be in there for, I don't know, a couple of years because I just built it and I live in it for a year and I flip it, if the market's still doing that. Then down the road, maybe I just say I've been in it for five years, ten years. You know, then I move on. So when you look at all these bells and whistles and these things that we add to it, um, at what point are we just tearing something down? And that seems to be the model in our market here is that we're gonna take a property with a, with a, f- a fully functioning house. There's nothing wrong with this house, but I bought the property, not the house, and I'm gonna put my own house on it today. Um, and then, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. I can see where there might be some limitations too when we talk about commercial buildings. Uh, like there was one example somebody talked about yesterday saying if you tear a building down, that's a three-story building, on a, on a large property, and your idea then is to build something new and better, better energy performance um, on that property, you can't just put another three-story building on it. You have to maximize the square footage. You have to go up further, whether it's 6, 12, 24. I don't know how many floors you get to, but maybe there's an equation that comes out too that says any square, like the square footage or the space you're building on, uh, or the age of the building, the building has to exceed this lifespan before you can do anything with it. And once you've achieved that, once you can prove that that building is no longer energy efficient based on today's standards, now you can go ahead and tear it down. Or maybe there's a tax associated with that because of the carbon, like when they show the the general bell curve, I guess, when you look at uh, the embodied carbon to start your construction process, your operation carbon over the lifespan of the project of the, of the building, the maintenance, all, all of that, and then you get to the end, the next Uh, big spike is when you tear that building down and you have to get rid of all of that waste that's in there. So, I mean, we're getting better at at maybe upcycling that I would love to see this entire industry um, find a a reliable, suitable way to take glass, not cull it. We're not talking about the glass that, you know, we in the float manufacturing industry use and reuse sort of thing, uh, you know, to reduce our consumption, but looking at, low-e products that you can't recycle that product, you can't upcycle it. So where do you, how do you upcycle it? You can use it as fill. Maybe you don't, there's companies, uh, I think there's a company in the Lower Mainland, I wish I could remember the name of it because I never used them. They would actually take the glass from you and then they quote unquote recycle it. How they recycle it, I don't know. If I don't know if it's used for fill, I don't know if they break it down for sandblasting, uh, for other methods of use with um, with you know sand. You have all these different uses for it. You just choose which one you want to use it for. If you take uh, glass and break it down to those base components, there's value in it somewhere. You just have to have people that are willing to take it uh, and find the other value in it. So I think mean, I think that's another place where uh, you know maybe there's um, some sort of a a base level for that kind of product where you think, have to have a way to recycle it.
1: I think I, I think I had heard somewhere that people were um, turning uh crushed glass into some form of a road building product um, that there yeah. was uh there was, there was some kind of a, 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 a paving asphalt uh, application that, uh, that, 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 that they had come up with other than that, it, it, it is. Yeah. It, it's a difficult product to recycle sometimes. Um, but uh, you know, uh, maybe there's maybe those options are out there. the um uh what is your sense on uh what is your sense on fiberglass Jeff? uh, uh it, 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 is it is it something that's going to last longer than aluminum or not as long? Well, I, I wish I could, I could chime in on that, uh, that end of things. I
0: don't, I don't have any background in, in that sort of framing. I always, yeah. in my mind, I always thought fiberglass was potentially one of the next things. And the only thing I think anybody ever told me was, um, you know, it, it gets you to a certain span, and then you have to have some steel structural support. Right. And then I always thought, well, the next thing from there is maybe you've got carbon fiber, but carbon fiber is too expensive. It's yeah. like back in 2015, the military, the U.S. military came up with aluminum glass. It's see-through, it's durable, uh, but you're sure not going to see that in a glazing application. <laughs> I mean, it's just not right. I mean, there's some. I mean, there was a part of me that kind of thinks that somebody's going to be so bloody inventive down the road. Like I'm still waiting for for the Elon Musk of glass to come along, or I guess not glass, but of mining to go out into the desert and figure out how to take two round molecules and fit them together. Yeah. Because I mean, well, you know, sand is of a big concern. Um, <laughs> you know we're using just tons and tons of it to create our concrete our float glass uh you know all different methods of materials uh and so we've got to be a little bit more resourceful in that regard where we get it from and how we do it ethically but if we're if somebody figures out how to do that and just take desert sand and be able to use that to to make other products to bond it together uh you know there's one problem that we've kind of solved to some degree, but, you know, who knows <laughs> what happens when you take all the sand out of the desert, what's at the bottom
1: there. <laughs> now, that's, now that'd be adding value, baby. <laughs> I, I've seen dune. I don't
0: want to know what's at the bottom of the uh, the yeah. sand pit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just dig around on the beach and you'll, you'll, you'll find things you don't like. Um Jeff, this is good. Um thanks uh, uh thanks a bunch for uh for your thoughts. I, I I to sum up, I guess uh I guess what we're saying is uh is is value engineering is uh is, is good and potentially uh valuable uh if it's if it's real. Uh and uh and uh there there's there's it it it, it is something that doesn't have to be uh it's something that doesn't have to be a swear word, and uh, and maybe some of the, the the ways that the industry is going and some of the innovation that's happening out there will, uh, will 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 make it less of a of a concern and less of a pain in the butt for uh, for for contractors, right? Exactly. Like I said, like if you if you create a full circle
0: of all the people communicating, then you know value engineering it, creating more value out of it. However, you choose to apply that value means somewhere along the whole process uh, there is value in it without having to, you know, end up with a product that somebody's not happy with at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, awesome. Jeff Shillard, Guardian Glass ADM for... BC and West and then and then back back into the Northwest United States again. Now that he's allowed to cross the border again. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of like talking to the stormtroopers uh at uh <laughs> Star Wars, uh uh getting across there can or it can be when you're going into work. Uh but uh, glad glad that Jeff's back in the saddle in his in his regular ter- territory. And uh Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today on Glass Talk. Hey Patrick, I appreciate
0: it and I told you I'd have a bit of, su- of a surprise here for you at the oh, end of the hit. Me. Now, now here's the beautiful part of it you can cut this. If it doesn't work, the (laughs) podcast just ends and you go into your music and you never hear what I just did. Okay. But, but in the spirit of the fact that it is not Wednesday, it is Thursday. Yeah. I'll sing, i I semi sing a little something for you here. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Exciting. All right. You ready? Okay. Patrick today we're gonna to make a podcast you know how I know because it's Thursday and Thursday is the day that we usually make a podcast Monday night you prep the questions Tuesday you gargle so your voice is so velvety smooth but Thursday we make sweet sweet weekly podcasts it's when everything is just right there's nothing good on Wondry. you haven't had your morning briefing obligation with the prime minister of fenestration so you're not too sleepy. Oh boy, it's all on. You lean in and whisper something smart in my ear like, I might use a Blue Yeti instead of a cardioid mic with a pop filter. I know what you're trying to say, Patrick. You're trying to say, oh yeah, it's podcast time it's podcast time it's podcast it's podcast time i know what you're trying to say you're trying to say that it's podcast and it's time for podcastination baby it's podcast it's podcast time thank, oh, you god. See, speak. He's, thank face god, god for running the running. mute button thank god for the <laughs>
1: mute button jeff <laughs> Like I, I said, you can feel free to cut that out if you want, but, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm promising everybody a big treat if they get to the end of this one. I, I saw Mike from, from uh, AWG all West Glass
0: uh, yesterday at the event, and he that's the first thing he brought up. I remember back in Kelowna
1: at the Fen canada event you saying business time so it's the only it's 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 the only thing anyone's been able to talk about for months jeff uh <laughs> folks uh if you get a chance to be at a at an event with jeff shillard uh get him out get him up on the karaoke stage because i'm telling you good things happen and <laughs> well anyways yeah well actually, actually uh uh oh no no he didn't have an actual video of the performance uh uh rich Pareko did a funny thing where he where he put that song over uh over like images from the show uh but it, it, anyways Jeff did business time by the who is it the comment the uh flight, flight of the Concords flight of the, con- right. yeah. flight of the right flight of the oh no. oh man what great stuff <laughs> Jeff thank you for that that's that's gonna, that's gonna get my downloads up significantly perfect that's <laughs> why I do it my friend that's why I do it all right my man all right We're signing signing off with Jeff Szilard from uh, Guardian Glass. Great stuff, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to Glass Talk. You can find this episode at
0: glasscanadamag.com or on the major podcasting services. Glass Talk is a presentation of Glass Canada Magazine and Annex Business Media.